poetically created mind podcast hosted by me, BM the Poet. This podcast is for people with a creative mind who need a little inspiration. I will be interviewing everyday people with creative minds, doing original poetry for myself and others, having inspirational conversation and more. This podcast will be available wherever you get your podcast from. Now we continue with part two of my interview with Darren L. Harris. So talking about your, your leadership qualities, I see that you are CEO of Kaya Youth Project and a Kaya Music Group. So what are some of the things that that entails with, uh, how can I put this, that, that you're involved with that through those two uh, groups? Let's talk about that. So both, both let's talk about a Kaya Youth Project, Inc., because though, you know, um, that's the name of the company. Okay. Uh, so Akaya Youth Project Inc. and Akaya Music Group is just what they call a DBA, doing business as. It, it makes no money. It never made money. The idea for the music group was to uh, put uh, local artists, artists who worked with us uh, in Louisiana to create music that would help to encourage and inspire. You know, we, we made no money at all. Uh, the organization may have, and it went into the organization's bank account. I've never seen it, but that was never the purpose. The purpose was to inspire. And how we came about that is because we were the Louisiana Statewide Family Support Organization, which we were the first and only family support organization, or what we call FSO in America. And the FSO was a part of Ikaya Youth Project, Inc. That's important to say because we also had other entities like Ikaya Fresh Start Behavior Health Program. We had an employment program. We had many different programs underneath that. Most people only see the big piece, which is the family support organization, because it was huge. But we had other entities and the music group was also a part of that. But that was only put into action to have artists work with us so that we can, first of all, give people something inspirational to listen to. And some of the people we hired were youth who were former individuals and young people who had mental and behavioral challenges. And what we realized was that there was a link between the arts and mental and behavioral challenges, that these were creative kids and yeah. they were not crazy. And so we didn't use the language crazy, but when you would put them into situations, because we had the creative arts department, I forgot about that. We had, we, we had that as well. We went all across the state, even to Arizona uh, to participate and to show people the importance of taking young people with mental and behavioral challenges we're talking about schizophrenia, ADHD, bipolar, you know, all of those labels and put them in an environment where they could create, they, they created. And I got that because I live with a mental behavioral challenge. And so I'm, I create all day. That's all I do is create, create, you know, you put me in a room, I'm writing, I'm messing with music, I create, but it's what keeps my mind in check. And so that's how that came to be. If that answers the question. So it's nothing that's uh, really functioning right now. The music is out there. That's all I can say about it. The music is out there and you download it. But that's all I know about it right now, because I'm no longer the CEO of Ikaya Youth Project. I would have to tell a quick story about that. In a nutshell, the way Ikaya Youth Project Inc. started was it was an after school program. That's all it was supposed to be. And I wrote my first grant to Rockefeller Foundation and we received $25,000 two years in a row. Peyton Manning had given me like $5,000, I think it was, through his Payback Foundation. And I had a couple other small grants, but it was just me and a group of young people who 100% of all of the funds went to them. They got, you know, and if they participated in the after school program at the end of the program, they all received a check because they were actually working, but to solve problems, right? We're looking at environmental things. And it, it was really a great program. And 
uh, I was asked by the city of New Orleans to help with homeless youth. And so I received that grant and that was about 300 some odd thousand dollars. And every penny of that went to support that program and those young people who were homeless. These are young people who were transition age youth who were unsheltered, meaning they were living in cars. They were living in abandoned buildings and parks underneath even home. One guy I'm thinking of right now, he had boils all, all over his body when we first found him underneath the house. And he wow. was living or dying, I should say, at that point with HIV. He was born with it. That's probably one of the hardest stories I ever have to tell because Elvin was like a son to me. You know, and when we found him, he got really healthy and, you know, things was really well for him. It's probably the most painful story of my existence at Ikaya. Well, if, if, if you don't want to talk about it, we don't. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's a that's a that's a pain. Yeah. But it's also a story of hope because that's where we started. And yeah, you yeah. see him get so excited. And he was talking about helping putting this program together, that program. And he was excited. But, you know, you know, things happen. Over yeah. Time. Life always has a, a alternative plan, even if, if you well, have something else going on. Yeah. I mean, he was a young person and a young person who was trying to hide his diagnosis. And that is what ultimately made him sick. He would try, but he was only trying to be young and he was only trying to, to live without taking care of himself and, and ignoring his health, no matter how many times, you know, we would encourage him to go to the doctor, do this, do that. But, you know, it's still one of those things that's taboo for people or they don't want to talk about. So I owe it to him. You understand what I'm saying? I, I owe it to him to tell my story. I don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, and I did share that with him. So it wasn't like he didn't know. But uh, by the time, you know, he really got to a place where he was comfortable with sharing some uh, neurological things started to happen and then yes. ultimately took his life. So after that, the homeless program completed that grant, which was really good. Then I started to apply to do independent living skills building through the Louisiana Office of Behavioral Health. And while I was waiting, realized that they had what they call an RFI, Request for Information, which is similar to what they call an RFP or Request for Proposal for Writing for a Grant to be a family support organization, one. And so I started reading through that. I said, man, I just finished doing all of this stuff. Surely I can do it. I wrote the grant 48 hours. I, I was completely manic, not knowing how I was going to eat and rent and everything and just really worried. But I was manic and I wrote that grant in 48 hours. I sent it off to the Office of Behavioral Health. And then I had to do a oral presentation with them with another company. And of course, you know, that's 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 my comfort zone. That's that's my winning zone. If you ask me to speak in front of people, I'm kind of shy in person. You know what I'm saying? And uh, if I don't really know you, I'm an introvert. I like to be alone. However, when it's time to you know, turn it on, especially when it's to do good on the behalf of others, which is altruism. I'm going to talk about it. I'm talking about it. So, yeah, hopefully um, that kind of gives that part of it. But we became Louisiana's first and only statewide family support organization. Now, they do this countywide across America, but there was never a statewide. So Louisiana, for the first time <laughs> that I've ever heard, at least in my lifetime, was was got it right. We got it right. We were the for the first time we were at the top of the best list because we were the only ones there. Usually, when you think about Louisiana, we're always at the top of the worst list and at the bottom of the best list. <laughs> yeah, it always seems to be the case. But this was different. This was different, and and due to politics and envy and jealousy, they allow and greed through insurance companies and through politicians and lobbyists. Uh, they prefer to destroy what was working because here's the deal. When Governor Bobby Jindal was in office, they wanted a solution 
after closing the New Orleans, you know, mental health hospital for adolescents, which is called, it was called NOAA. And so we came up with the community-based program. And so they use federal funding through Medicaid, which made sense to help young people. It made absolute sense, 100% without a shadow of a doubt. And they tried to do it once and they had five organizations that tried to do it. It was too much confusion, too much, you know, bickering whatever it was going on. And they said, you know what? We just want one organization to deal with. And we happen to be that organization. Now, I have my own feelings about it and why they chose us. I know that I was qualified and obviously the proof is in the pudding, but they didn't expect it to work. What they really expected was that you would bring this one organization in that was completely, I'm telling the truth, oblivious to what was going on. But what they didn't do, they didn't Google me. They didn't know at the same time I was, you know, the executive director running this youth homeless program. I also was the CEO of a mental health organization in Atlanta, Georgia, building an organization, the CEO. You understand what I'm saying? So I was working in two states, two large cities at the same time. Uh, you better check your resume. They didn't Google me. <laughs> um, I still was the case manager. I made sure every the program was successful in New Orleans because that's I only went on the weekends. I only needed to go to weekends because I hired people, you know, in Atlanta to do what they needed to do. So I wasn't worried about that at all. Uh, I made sure those kids had everything they needed. And I'm not going to say kids or young adults. So long story short, um, it was a disaster. You know, it was it, it turned out to be a disaster because it didn't work out the way they had planned because Darren L. Harris was on his game and mm-hmm. had. I not been, and it wasn't just me. I have to thank, of course, 500 plus team members, you know, at any given time. We were serving over 2,400 young people at any given time, and they came in and out the program. So you were always getting a new batch. So we did more than, we did a lot. It was a lot. And we hired a lot. And I never fired anybody. People fired themselves, by the way. So it was a really, really good uh, program. And we, my, my main thing was to make sure that everyone felt like family. So most of my time was spent on the road. You know, I would preach to my congregation at the time on Sundays. I would be home by Saturday, Sundays. I would preach to the congregation, but I was on the road. I was somewhere in Louisiana in some part of the state because I never wanted to have an organization where the people did not know me. That was really important to me. And even though those five years drained the life out of me, it drained the life out of me. It was important for me and for them to see me. And that's what made it work. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Had they not seen me and been able to interact with me, there's no way it would have worked. This is what I know about leadership. Leadership is about influence. They got to see you because when they see you, they can say you. And if they don't, say you is because they don't see you. Yeah, definitely. So before we get out of here, I want you to um, tell us about what you got coming up for us. What's what's in the works for, for the near future from Darren L. Harris? Volunteer, 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 volunteer. That's where I'm at right now. So what's coming up is I am really focused on veterans uh, right now, especially justice-involved veterans and helping them as a volunteer. Uh, there's a section where they call, you know, we have peer volunteers uh, helping veterans who are yeah, part of the justice system. Right now, uh, I'm just growing it and getting information. Uh, I'm just still learning. You know, there's 67 counties in uh, the state of Florida because that's where we're starting. Uh, there are over 20 million veterans, you know, across America, but 1.5 of them uh, stay here. Over 1.5, I should say, stay here in, in the state of Florida. 
and Florida is the third largest. So you have California and then Texas, or maybe Texas first. Yeah, Texas, California, and Florida is third. So there are a lot of veterans. And then we have a lot of veterans who are transitioning out. So for me, my focus has been really justice-involved veteran. Uh, there's still a lot of research. But what I realize is that many veterans don't know about Florida statute you know, 394.4791. I don't know why I'm remembering all this stuff, but it really is to help the justice involved veterans uh, with military like related substance use, mental health, TBIs, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, to, to give them a different hope. Because what the research says is that many veterans usually get involved with the court system because of their military service because they volunteered. But prior to their service, they had no involvement, you know, and usually that's a requirement, right? There's no involvement in law, but uh, we're seeing more and more uh, veterans uh, starting to, of course, have substance use issues uh, as well as mental and behavioral health challenges. And so I, I just want to, you know, give back. So that's where I'm at right now. That's what's coming up. Nothing else. I've attempted to <laughs> twice, two years in a row to be a part of the veteran rehab, something is veterans, education, employment, rehab program, whatever the case is, you know, I'm okay with whatever decision is made. I'm doing things really to focus on me getting better. That's what's, that's number one, me getting better. And I'm talking about mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, because as I get better, I'm able to do more with a clear mind. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm kind of staying focused on this one thing. Uh, in addition to that, <laughs> Yeah, one thing, right? Uh, the, the radio broadcast, which is defining moments, but that's about the extent of what I can do. Other than that, I am taking it day by day, step by step. I'm going to therapy, doing all the things I need to do, you know, to get me back in order. And I want to be able to be influenced now to other veterans, those who are currently a veteran and those who are going to be in transition. That's a big piece. A lot of stress is involved with coming back home and reintegrating. Yeah. And I see that. And, you know, and so most of the people that I worked with, you know, when I was working with homeless, the homeless population in New Orleans happened to be vets and none of these services they know about, you know, and so I want to be a hub, even if it's a virtual VSO, but something has to be done. And so that's where my focus is in terms of giving back and volunteering my time. In addition to that, number one is taking care of me. Well, I'm sure I guess it's three every, things, right? I said three things. Well, I'm sure every veteran out there will definitely appreciate your efforts because I surely do because I'm a veteran that has dealt with some of those same issues that you spoke about. So this this subject really touches me in a way. So I definitely appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to assisting you in your uh, journey to helping veterans and the youth as well. So I'm here for you if you need me. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Well, there's a lot of work to be done. Now, you got to be careful when you say that to me because, I, I mean, there was so much stuff. Like yesterday, I had to shut down, you know, because I still I can overwhelm myself unnecessarily. You know what I'm saying? And it's a part of part of what I live with every day. And a lot of people don't see that. But I recorded it yesterday. I won't show that to anybody, not even you. And just to see what it looks like when, you know, the manic phase kind of hits in. And so for me, it's really important to do the things that I've been doing, which I try to do one uh, Monday, Wednesday and Fridays. Uh, I go by the river here in Jacksonville and I have go to Starbucks, have coffee and I just chill out, you know, and I'm really, really putting a lot of effort in self-care. I mean, that that's really been the success of, you know, these last few months for me. 
And then, of course, you know, reconnecting with people like yourself has been really good. I, you know, and I'm hope I'm looking forward to working with you. I'm looking forward, from, you know, to learning from you. I'm, I'm excited that you have this podcast, and hopefully, you know, I didn't bore your audience. I, I don't think you did. You gave some very insightful information and some real depth into who you really are, and. A lot of people will be inspired by by your story because a lot of people out there are afraid to talk about their mental health issues. Because for a long time, I was afraid to talk about it because of the stigma that it has. But I've come to learn that, like you said, when when you talk about it, it feeds somebody else to want to talk about it. And it just helps helps them. It helps you. Absolutely. Holding in, it doesn't really help us at all. I know that this works. I, I built a whole organization on it. And not only that, but we were able to monetize on it. And then I was able to create jobs and employment for people who had mental or behavioral challenge. In fact, you know, sometimes I was looking for people who had a felony. You know, it was that kind of place, you know, and, you know, and we paid people well to, you know, I just I believe in just doing things that are just non-traditional and put people in the best position that they can be in. And I look for nothing in return. That's called altruism, right? And it's one thing I talk about all the time, but effective altruism says you have to count the cost. You know, how can I take $1 bill if I have an organization and if I can help five people with that dollar bill or a hundred people with that dollar bill, you know what I'm going to do? I'm trying to do the job that's going to help a hundred people. That's called effective altruism. So I want to get the most out of, you know, my money. I, I, I think of you know, effective altruism all the time. You know, how can we get the best and most, the greatest benefit out of what resources we have? And I prove that that works, but I didn't prove it by myself. I had to, you know, I had to employ people to prove it and, you know, they helped to prove it. And I'm, I'm wanting to do it again, but specifically for veterans, uh, not just veterans, but, you know, there are other components in the Florida Positive Connections is the name of the organization uh, that I've started. And for me, it's all voluntary. So, you know, I'm not in it for the money. You know, I, there's no money for me to make. I don't even care about money. I want to create for people, right? Here's what I know. When access to existing communities don't exist, we create it. And through my own struggles here in Florida and seeing the gaps in services and systems, I said, okay, well, Harris, you know what to do. So that's what I'm doing. But, you know, this time around, you know, it's different. I'm, I'm in a different place, a different space. And, you know, I'm, I'm a disabled vet for those who know what that means. So for me, I, I'm going to do what I can to help another vet. We definitely appreciate it. I want to thank you for your time and all your inspiring words. All right. I appreciate it. I, I thank you for the interview. Oh, no problem. It's time for dinner. Well, folks, on that note, I guess I'll go do the same thing. But before I go, I'd like to read one more poem to you. It's called Service and Sacrifice. This is for all my veterans out there. We felt a call to protect. That's why they call us vets. We came in not knowing what to expect. Is it a life of service or a life of debt? We put our bodies on the line. We turn our mental state to iron. When our bodies start to dust, that iron starts to rust. We knew sacrifices would be made. That's why we are the home of the brave. Thanks for coming on this journey with me. Please follow me at BM the Poet on Instagram and BM the Poet on Twitter. Please rate it five stars, subscribe, and share. Have a good evening.